Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm Ryan Coonerty. Along with Debbie Cox Bolton of the New Deal, I'm lucky enough to be your co-host. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports the next generation of American leaders. From attorneys generals, to state senators, to mayors, to school board members, these are the people that are pushing policies and politics that will respond to climate change, rebuild our economy, address racial injustice, and restore our democracy. These are incredibly talented people who have dedicated themselves to public service when their country and their communities need it the most. Check out NewDealLeaders.org to see what I'm talking about. Today on An Honorable Profession, we go to the racetrack, Talladega, Alabama. Mayor Tim Raglan is an extraordinary leader. He's the first black mayor of Talladega and the youngest one in more than a century. He overcame challenges in his youth to make his way to the military and law school, and then eventually in a race defeating an incumbent mayor. He has grit and determination. He's committed to engaging the community in their government. We talk about his life, his work creating innovative workforce development programs, and why his city has the best buffalo wings in the world. Enjoy. Talladega Mayor Timothy Raglan, welcome to An Honorable Profession. It is wonderful to be speaking with you today. Thank you so much for having me. First and foremost, you just welcomed a child last Friday, so we are so grateful that you are joining us, probably extremely sleep-deprived, but blessed, and we wish you, you and your family, the very best in welcoming this new child into this world. Of course. Thank you so much. And I'm running on fumes, but I really wanted to to join you and to be a part of this great podcast, so I wasn't going to miss it. (laughs) We thank you, and we appreciate your commitment and hope you get a a nap after this. So let's just start with, can you tell us how Talladega is doing right now? What are the opportunities? What are the challenges that you see as, as its mayor? Sure. We're doing very well, getting ready for the state of the city address. So we're we're kind of in that mindset of talking about these issues. But we're we're working a lot on economic development, attracting new businesses and industries to the city, promoting small business growth, improving job opportunities for our residents. We're working on infrastructure improvement, roads, bridges, public utilities like broadband, high-speed broadband. About 43% of our city doesn't have access to high-speed broadband internet. And that is something that I really don't like. And so we're we're working to address that. We're also working on providing some technology that can be paired with Wi-Fi and high-speed broadband like tablets that we'll be distributing here next month to folks who are recipients of federal benefits. So WIC, Medicare, Medicaid, veterans benefits, all those things, they are eligible to receive a free tablet. And that tablet will be equipped with Wi-Fi capabilities as well as it'll have its own internet connection. So if you're not if you're not near Wi-Fi, you can still use your your tablet and that's completely free of charge. We're working with our new police chief who is the first woman and the second African American person to hold the role of police chief in our department. We've seen a dramatic reduction in violent crime and crime across the board. And of course with our fire and emergency services to make sure that we're doing everything we can to have a community approach to government. And that's that's kind of my thing. I'm, I'm very community oriented. And so we have that approach with all of our, our departments in the city, working on affordable housing and, and addressing the shortages there. And of course, again, maintaining community engagement and make sure we have 
resident citizen involvement in in our local government and promoting civic engagement with our youth and community empowerment and making sure that everyone's voices are heard. That sounds like a very busy agenda. And there's a bunch of questions I have about each one of those policy areas. But first, I think just to orient us a little bit, I think many of us know Talladega through its connection to NASCAR. But can you tell us a little bit about your community and what it looks like and sort of where the opportunities you see are for your community? Definitely. So just a geographic orientation. We're 45 minutes east of Birmingham and just under two hours west of Atlanta off of I-20. So if you're going east or west on I-20, you're you're probably going to pass us if you get near the Alabama state line. Our community is about 51% Black and about 46% White. And so we we work really well together to try to address a lot of the issues that we have. One of them that we, I don't want to say solved, but but solved and knocked on, knock on wood, is an issue that many cities across the nation have faced is violent crime. Right around the beginning of COVID, we saw a dramatic increase in the number of shooting deaths and murders. And so we, we worked really hard to address that issue with our new police chief. And we've seen actually this year, we haven't had any yet, thank God. And so we hope for that that will continue. You know, some of the opportunities that I see, we have not in the past taken a lot of taken advantage of grant opportunities and funding from the federal government. And so we're trying to work there. That's really a big opportunity. We're, we're home to Talladega College which is the oldest private HBCU in the state of Alabama. We're also home to the Alabama Institute for the Deaf and Blind, which services several tens of thousands of blind, deaf, and deafblind students. And that range from elementary age through adulthood. So people who were born blind or deaf or both, and people who recently became deaf or blind from incident or accident or medical issue. And so we have a very diverse community. And so we're trying to make sure that we're serving all the needs of the community and working on ways to bring people together in the process. Can you talk a little bit about the effort to reduce violent crime? What interventions did you deploy and what do you credit the reduction from being? Yeah. So our police chief, I have to give her a lot of credit. Shout out to Chief Thomas. She is very keen on community policing, not just our officers riding around the city, riding tickets in their cars, but she has implemented a policy of having interactions. And this is not anything to write a citation or anything like that. It's just to get to know the folks in the community. We're a city of just under 16,000. And so we want to make sure that we build those connections with the police. Uh, One of the issues that we were having was there would be a crime or shooting a murder and the folks didn't feel comfortable talking to the police. And so we wanted to, to correct that. And one of the things that we did is create a community board where folks can bring issues that they have with the police department or fire department or any city department. And that group of citizens could look at all the evidence, if you will, and make a decision one way or the other. And so we really just focused on actually protecting and serving the community. We put a focus on community-based policing. And as I said, going out into communities and, and talking with folks and building those connections and building trust when they people trust that when they give us a tip, the police department will follow up on it. And they've seen that happen here over the last year or so, and and we've had some dramatic reductions in in murders and and violent crimes. That is fantastic. Congratulations. And hopefully other police departments are following your lead and engaging with the public in positive ways to build those relationships. 
you talked about engaging with community and having an advisory council. That's really been a hallmark of some of your activities as mayor. Can you talk about how you've been oriented towards the community and tried to bring the community into government? Yeah, I strive to be very accessible to the folks in my community. One of the catalysts for me running for mayor in 2019 is that I felt the former incumbent was not accessible enough. Many folks didn't even know who he was. And I felt if you're going to be mayor in a city, a small town like ours, you need to be out in the community and talking to folks and finding out what the issues are. And so that's the approach and the lens that I view government through. I think government is is here to help people. And I want to make sure I can facilitate that. And so I bring in the community. We have community advisory board. I'm building building out a mayor's youth council because many times young people feel left out in the process of government and, and they think that they're too young or they don't know enough or they don't have the right answers. But I really want to hear from the young people in our community because they are, I know it's cliche, but they are the future. And we want to make sure that they start that civic engagement process as early as possible. So we're bringing in ninth through 12th grade students from our local high school, the Alabama Institute for the Deaf and Blind, as well as the Presbyterian Home High School, so that we can we can have a full range of, of youth voices in our community. Also working with local business leaders to have a roundtable so they can talk to me about issues. It's not going to be a, a press there. It's just going to be me and them, along with some staff from the city, to talk about the issues that they see. And so I just want to make sure that I know I don't have all the answers. But the folks in the community do. And so if we work together, we'll be able to address the issues that we have. From that, from your experience in doing this kind of outreach, what are the what are the lessons learned when you invite the community into government? What's the most effective way to do that and get the best outcomes for everybody? And I think the most effective thing to do is to listen. A lot of folks that are elected tend to want to talk and give answers and present this, I know what's going on, I have all the answers face. And really building genuine connection is about listening and responding to what you hear and building trust. Even like I said, with the police department, it's also in my role as mayor, I have to build community trust. Folks have to know when they bring me an issue, it's going to be addressed. It may not always be addressed the way to the outcome that they want, but it will be addressed in the manner necessary. And so I think just having conversations really genuinely talking to people and not listening to respond, listening to understand. That's something that I learned from my wife. So I have to give a shout out to her there, but it is very effective in government as well. Uh, I think there are many wives out there who are teaching, listening not to respond, but listening to understand. It's a, it's, it's a good lesson for local government mm-hmm. and a happy home life. Yes. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about how you found yourself in this line of work and pushing these these values in your community? What's your path to public service? It is. A, how much time do we have? <laughs> uh, I guess I'll start with my beginning. My parents were both teenagers, 17 years old when I was born. And as you can imagine, that presents challenges for young parents and for the child that is the product of a, of a, of a young family. So my dad and, and my stepdad actually both went to prison around the time I was eight for drug crimes, and they were there for about 10 years. And so there is a 10-year period in my life where I was searching for what does it look like to be a man? What does it look like just to, in the community? How do you talk to girls? How do you throw a football? All those kind of things. So at 17, I decided that I knew my mom couldn't pay for college for me. So I joined the Army as a high school senior, and I was able to go to basic training the summer of my junior year, came home, finished 
my senior year of high school and then went, went back to the Army to do my job training. And uh, I served for eight years in the, in the Army Reserve. And during that time, I got to see some really great leadership and some really bad leadership. And I think I learned most from the bad leadership on the things not to do as a leader. And once I came home from training, I went and got a job at a local factory. And I was working there eight hour, nine, 10 hour days and, and, and going along. And it was decent enough money. One day I was on my lunch break and I thought, I don't want to do this for the next 20 years. So I went to Marion Military Institute, junior college here in Alabama, military junior college, graduated from there, went to Auburn Montgomery. And while I was at Auburn Montgomery for undergrad, the 2016 presidential election came along and someone reached out to me to go work for Hillary in Northern Florida or Southern Alabama, depending on where you stand. <laughs> so I went there in, in Tallahassee, Leon and Gaston counties, and I was an organizer, field organizer for the Florida Democratic Party. And that is where the organizing bug kind of bit me and, and getting to, and that's where I learned, that's kind of where I began this, having this idea of community-based government. There's one elderly woman who I, I went and knocked on her door, on her door. And if you've ever done any organizing, you know, you knock on someone's door and Sometimes you know their home, but they they don't know who you are. Or they're not interested in whatever you're selling or trying to tell them. And so they just ignore you. So I, it was this kind, that kind of situation. I knew she was there. She didn't come to the door. And so as I was leaving, she came back and I found out that she was deaf. And she invited me in and we, we had a conversation via paper. She was an elderly woman. I think she was in her mid to late 80s. And she told me that she had never voted. And so we were able to build in, I believe it was Gaston County, we were able to build a transportation network, because a lot of folks there didn't have transportation to get to the polls. And we were able to get her to the polls to vote for her for the first time in that 2016 presidential election. And that has stuck with me all these years because community is the basis for everything we do, whether you're on your far left, far right, in the middle. Their community helps us. It builds us up. It gives us the strength to you know, address the issues as we see them. And so from there, I came back home, finished my undergrad degree, and went to law school. And while in law school, the summer of my second year, I talked to myself in and out of running for mayor. And, and I finally talked myself into it and went and filed and qualified. The rest is history, as they say. Wow. That is an incredible story. I'd like to take a moment to recommend another great podcast, Sidebar. It's discussions with state and national experts about protecting our most critical individual and civil liberties. It features co-hosts, two law deans, Jackie Gardena and Mitch Winnick. For more on Sidebar, go to sidebarmedia.org or wherever podcasts are found. Can you talk a little bit, I mean, I teach undergraduates, I think as you do or have done as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so much mistrust of the government and of systems what made you decide that you could make an impact from inside rather than outside the system? And that's where you wanted to spend your time. Honestly, I thought I could, but I wasn't sure. And I, I am currently still teaching at Talladega College. And something that I tell my students is, it's okay to not have the answer. I didn't know if I'd be able to make an impact. I was naive in thinking once this election is over, everybody's going to come together and it's going to be kumbaya and we're going to solve all the problems of the city. That hasn't happened, but I think from my viewpoint, working within the system, at least in my experience, has been, I think I would, I, I've gotten farther and made the changes that I wanted to make 
from working within the system more so than I would have from outside rather. And I know that's not the case for everybody, but for me, that's what I found to be true. And you were 29 years old when you were elected and you took on, as you said, an incumbent. Yes. Did you expect to win when you launched your race? And and what do you credit for the victory? I did expect to win. I'm a big data guy. So I I looked at the data and I knew the numbers were there. So I I expected to win. The thing that kind of gave me more confidence in my ability to win was when once qualifying was over, there were six candidates in the race, including myself and the incumbent. And what that told me was people wanted something different. And so then I, I just had to have a strong ground game. I didn't have very much money. I didn't take any donations from anybody outside of family because I, I wanted to, I didn't want to be beholden to any outside groups or folks who wanted to influence my thinking and decision-making. And so I only solicited funds from family members. I knocked on doors. I went to community events. I went to churches. I sent letters. I've had a very big social media campaign. I think that was very effective for me. So I had a very big ground game. I didn't put out signs until the runoff. Yeah, I just, it was a lot of word of mouth, a lot of me going and knocking on doors and talking to folks who, even if someone had my opponent's sign in their yard, I still went and knocked on their door and asked them about what the issues, the most important issues were to them. Because after the election, you have to govern and you have to govern folks who voted for you and folks who didn't. And so I want to make sure to start, again, building those relationships. And those are those are serving me now after the campaign is over. And you won by 24 votes. Is that correct? 23. <laughs> yeah. That is razor thin. Some of those doors that you knocked on with your opponent's lawn sign may have made the difference in your election. So after a, an election that close... How do you try to pull the city together and govern for the for the entire city, even people who may not have supported you in the election? Yeah, it was a very close runoff, a stressful night. After the election, like I said, you have to govern everybody. And so what I did was I continued to talk and to listen. I talked to folks who I knew were very public supporters of my opponent. And some of those folks were on, on the city council. And so listening to their concerns and sharing my concerns and, and and being able to find common ground. I know it is today a very, not a, a very bad word, but compromise is, is the name of the game. And so sometimes you have to be willing to give up better for good. That is something that I practice on a daily basis. And so just being able to compromise and, and to, to have conversation is, is how I've been able to kind of hold together this coalition of folks who, who want to make Talladega better. One of the ways you're making Talladega better is by really championing a new approach to workforce development. Can you talk a little bit about that effort and what the outcomes of it have been and what other cities and communities might learn from your experience? Well, one of the issues that we have a automotive, Alabama's an automotive manufacturing hub uh, these days. And so what we found is that they have not been able to fill the jobs that they need to in their factory. So we have a community college, Central Alabama Community College, that is one of the locations is in Talladega. And so I I talked to the president of the college and we talked about ways that we could use the programs at CAC to help folks get jobs. The issue was that they had all these programs in manufacturing and welding and plumbing and utility line work. 
but they were not able to get the students in for various reasons. And so being able to partner with them. And another thing that was really helpful is they were able to tailor and create programs specifically for industries that we in the city were trying to recruit. So for instance, if we were recruiting an aviation manufacturing company, they could tailor their programs to fit the needs of that particular industry. So having that resource has been really key. And so we're working with them and the state of Alabama's career readiness program to get folks who are teen mothers, who are high school dropouts or college dropouts, folks who are at the most need for high paying jobs. We're getting those folks the help they need through Central Alabama Community College. And again, I'm harping on it again, having conversations and, and just talking to folks, hey, what do you what can you offer? This is what the city is doing. How can we partner to provide resources for our community? And you also are partnering with the Alabama Institute for the Deaf and Blind to include that population in this workforce training. Can you talk a little bit about how you tailor the training to serve those students? Definitely. So they have the Alabama Industries for the Blind. Let me start there. And what the industries do is they employ blind and nearly blind employees. And those folks that work there make all of the ties for our service members. They make composition notebooks, they make brooms, they make a plethora of goods, plethora of goods. And so they have the experience, but they need to get those folks who are not interested in in that type of work into other industries around the city and in neighboring cities. And so we brought them in and, and again, had a conversation and said, hey, this is what we're looking to do. We want to bring you along. And so they said, okay, we'll We'll provide the Braille that's needed for the training manuals and that kind of thing. We'll provide transportation from the community to to the school. We've partnered with them for an appropriation in the last two budgets that we've the city has passed, where we provided funds for tiny homes that they are building for people who are blind and, and want to stay in the community or in the city of Talladega after they finish their, their education at AIDB. And so having a what I call a wraparound service where folks have a home, the folks from AIDB have homes, they have transportation to work, and they have businesses that are prepared to work with them and, and have the Braille and all the things that they need. It's been a really a beautiful partnership, and I'm glad to be able to have played a small part in it. That's fantastic and inspiring story. I got to ask, you're an attorney, you're teaching, you're mayoring. Now, you have two young children. How do you decide... For your future, where are you going to put your time and talent? And what are you thinking about as you make that determination? Yeah, it is fun times in the Raglan household. Um, give a big credit to my wife. She's she's amazing. She's an attorney and the mom and a great wife and, and all those things. But I, I look at what kind of world do I want to leave for my children? I think a lot about, I have a daughter and I have a, a young a son, newborn son. And I think about, I want them to have a better life than I've, than I've had. My mom told me the same thing. She wanted me to have a better life than I have and than she had rather. And so I focus my time on the things that I think will help make that happen. Public safety. I'm really a strong supporter of public schools. I'm a, a product of, of Talladega public school system. Having housing and, and health and wellness and having transparency in, in government. I'm focusing on the things that I think 10, 15, 20 and more years from now the citizens of Talladega and, and, and our community at large will be able to benefit from. Did that make any sense? 
That absolutely did make sense. Okay. <laughs> I want to ask, you are the city's first African-American mayor. Yes. What kind of responsibility do you think that puts on you to be playing that historic role? And and how has it been in, in the three years since you were elected? It is a great responsibility and a great privilege to, to serve as the first Black mayor of my city. I think about the first Black council member, the first Black woman council member, the first Black fire chief, and all those folks who've come before me and have paved the way. I don't like to say I'm standing on someone's shoulders. Representative Terry Stool tells a story about a civil rights leader who once said, get off of my shoulders and do your own work. So, <laughs> But they have definitely paved the way you know, for what I'm doing today. I don't want to be a hindrance for the next first the first woman or the first blind or deaf person, the first gay person or trans person. I don't want the tenure of Tim Ragland to be a burden on those folks' ability to serve. And so I make sure that I serve well, that I represent the city as best I can, because I want them to have, I don't want to be a hindrance to them. I want that. I want to be a stepping stone. I love that. Finally, I mean, I think it sounds like you're doing these really incredible things and serving your community so well. If I had 24 hours to spend in Talladega, what would you recommend I do? Well, there's quite a few things. Of course, NASCAR, if you come in April or October, you can go to a, to a NASCAR race. But we have hiking trails. We have one of the country's largest shooting ranges. We have the historic Amistad murals that are located in the William Harvey Museum on the campus of Talladega College. We have some of the best Buffalo wings, hot wings that you can find. Uh, I know Buffalo and several other cities like to make their claims, and that's nice, but you have not had wings until you come to Talladega. We also have, of course, some some great Southern cooking. And if you see a picture of me, you'll see why I'm so fluffy, because I uh, get to partake in all the great food that we have here. We also have a really innovative career tech program at our, our local city schools. Students get the opportunity to work with robots nursing, cosmetology, healthcare, and a whole wide range of things. So there's plenty to do if you if you make it down to Talladega. Now I'm just hungry just thinking about it. I'm going to have to make my way down there. Please do. Sounds not to be missed. Well, Mayor Ragland, I want to appreciate you. We love having you in the New Deal. You're just the kind of leader with a commitment to their community that we believe makes not only your community better, but the whole country better. And it's been an honor to talk to you today. And congratulations again on your new son. Thank you. I'm a very proud member of New Deal. And I appreciate you all bringing me in and offering all the support that you have. And thank you so much. Thank you. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. Thanks to the team at New Deal for producing this episode. We encourage you to bring honor to public service. And because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars are used in the making of this podcast.